All right now, you're listening to the Real Texas Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Bronin, just a fed-up taxpayer, bringing you all of your Texas local and national news. Welcome to the Real Texas Radio Podcast. I am Bronin, your host. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. Or if you're joining the program for the first time, 1,000 welcomes. And I have to be honest, I have been kind of glued to this Ken Paxton impeachment trial. It has been really interesting for me. It's definitely been an education. And it's definitely provided some direct knowledge, insight into the Ken Paxton administration. And on day four, Friday, September 8th, the impeachment managers called, who has turned out to be so far, I think, the strongest witness in the case. And that is a man by the name of David Maxwell, who I'm going to be honest, I learned about this gentleman for the first time. But he obviously, they, they went through his entire background, his career, and he is a terms like icon and hall of famer were used by not the impeachment managers, but actually Ken Paxton's defense attorney or one of them. He's got two law firms representing him and day one of the trial, they started with Tony Busby, who gave the opening statements and who cross-examined the first witness. And I honestly thought he came across as, I don't want to say least prepared, but definitely, I think he had some of the lowest impact so far. I think some of the other attorneys have been much stronger, uh, particularly uh, Dan Cogdale, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He's been pretty good. Another attorney, last name Little, he, I think, has been pretty effective. But when it came to David Maxwell, who is a a former Texas Ranger, I think he has held different positions throughout the Attorney General's office and Department of Public Safety in Texas. And his career, it goes back possibly even before the Waco incident with the Branch Davidians, that's 30 years ago. And so when it's time for cross-examination, Cogdale gets up and the two men, they know each other. Everybody knows each other, right? These are all wealthy, white, professional men, political appointees, high-powered attorneys. They all know each other, right? Nobody is, nobody's going to be a loser here. Even if Ken Paxton is impeached, don't worry, he's going to land on his feet. All of these lawyers, guess what? They, They had the opportunity to immediately go out and get another job, return to their previous firms, which were happy to have them back, right? So nobody here is, is hurting, right? I don't think anybody had to had to drain their swimming pool after this incident, but th- that's a, that's another point. So Dan Cogdale, he begins his cross examination by by saying, "What a wonderful guy Dave Maxwell is! What a competent public servant he is! Icon, Hall of Famer!" And he even made clear straight away 
sir, I am not going to say anything to stain your reputation. I can't. Your reputation is so powerful and speaks for itself. There is nothing I can say to diminish your reputation, nor would I want to. Basically, that's the gist of of what he says. And I, I started thinking, I'm like, well, if that is the case, if this witness, this gentleman, Maxwell, who I'm not sure of his age, he looked to be over 70, apparently his career spanned 38 years or so before Ken Paxton fired him and gave him a dishonorable discharge, which was later reversed, because Maxwell would not open an investigation per the request of Nate Paul, and who, who was the campaign donor, who's really a central figure in this case, even though the, the defense team for Ken Paxton, they don't even want to talk about Nate Paul. They don't even want to, they, they don't want to mention him. They, I think they want everybody to forget about him. But Maxwell came right out and said, Nepal is a criminal. He's running a Ponzi scheme. And I was not opening an investigation. It was completely ludicrous. He had no problem mincing words. He is not an attorney. The previous witnesses, all three of the previous witnesses are attorneys. And so they were very careful in their language. And they, as much as possible, they tried to avoid giving yes or no answers. And they always tried to give a, a longer answer, or they were very measured in their responses. That's not to say that they were lying or they were incorrect or trying to be shady or anything like that. But with uh, David Maxwell, he was very comfortable giving brief affirmative or negative answers to questions. He was he was totally unshakable. But again, I'll go back to my question. If this gentleman, if, if Ken Paxton is totally innocent, then why would he fire this guy who's had a career for almost 40 years and, according to the defense team, is an icon and a Hall of Famer and is and you wouldn't want to even question his judgment about why he wouldn't want to open an investigation because he has conducted thousands of investigations. He has trained investigators. Anyway, Cogdale, he did try to pick apart different pieces of testimony by the witness, but you know what? I, I think it just, it largely, it didn't work. The witness came off as extremely credible. And even w when Cogdale at certain points would become exasperated at having to repeat a question or rephrase it because of an objection because the witness couldn't hear. The witness had a hearing aid, by the way. And apparently the the acoustics in the Senate chamber, apparently they do make it difficult for those who are in the chamber to hear each other, even though I'm watching it on YouTube and it's it's all very clear. And they're they're doing a great job actually capturing everything. I'm I'm really impressed. And yeah, if, if you haven't watched any of the trial, maybe it's not your thing to watch a trial. There's certainly lulls. And e even though some pieces, I, I think the general public would probably agree that it's a lull, but I do find it interesting. But I think some of the, the most boring parts of the trial, and this is probably any trial, is when 
the attorneys they they keep referring to. Can we go to Exhibit 1015, please? Can you go to Paragraph 3? Scroll down here, sir, bottom left. I think that's when they start really losing the jurors, the senators. And yeah, they, they'll start to lose me there, too. And typically... When they when they go down those rabbit holes, it usually it, to me it loses all effect. It doesn't even work out. It's not even totally clear what point they're trying to get at, and there are usually so many objections throughout that process of trying to direct a witness to look at a document and and respond to it and read it, and the witness has to, oh, can I have a couple of minutes here? I have to read it and familiarize myself with it or refamiliarize myself. And they just, they're just losing the audience and to me, wasting time. Something that I don't know will be clear as a result of this trial. I don't know if it's going to come out, but, and, and I'll be honest, I've, I've been watching some of the political commentating that goes on during the breaks, during the lunch hour. And it's it's been interesting too. A WFAA investigative reporter, the political analyst, and then they typically will have an attorney. And sometimes, yeah, their their thoughts will kind of echo what I'm thinking. But sometimes they'll they'll think of something I hadn't thought of. But something that I have definitely been curious about is why did Nate Paul? Pardon me. Why did Ken Paxton go to the mat? put his career on the line for this guy, Nate Paul. It's not like Nate Paul is, as far as I know, it's not like he's a relative. It's not like he's a brother or a cousin. It's not like a Hunter Biden situation where Joe Biden is going to go to the mat because it's his son, even though his son is clearly a, a criminal who should be convicted in federal court. But it's just not clear what the what the real connection is. And sure, Nate Paul, he donated $25,000. You know what? The the defense is trying to say that is basically pennies when you look at the overall contributions of Ken Paxton in, in running for office. He's raised millions of dollars. So this $25,000 represents a percentage of 1%. Basically, nothing is what they're claiming. Now, I wouldn't say that a $25,000 individual campaign contribution is nothing. Nevertheless, and, and then the other allegation is that Nate Paul paid for Ken Paxton's remodel because as Tony Busby, the defense attorney, told us that uh, Ken Paxton, the, the Paxton family, well, they, they are, they are having to penny pinch these days. And, you know, they're really, they're close to the uh, poverty line. You know, they, they couldn't even afford a new stove. They had to go without that new stove. They're, they're just, uh, they're so on the edge of poverty. So Nate Paul, he donates $25,000 and allegedly pays for a kitchen remodel for the Paxtons. But still, Ken Paxton, you're going to drag yourself through this. You're going to open yourself up to this for Nate Paul. And so I just don't know if that's going to come to light unless Ken Paxton had just become so full of hubris that, that he figured that nobody was going to challenge him or, or that he was going to get his way and he was going to force these people to be fired, his executive team. 
or, or force them to resign if they didn't do what he wanted and he'd just get a new group of lackeys of supplicants back to maxwell so i think what the defense what they were trying to get at is that maxwell he didn't have an open mind he was he met with nate paul and his attorney a couple of times and he met with an attorney in ken paxton's office they they met two or three times i think at the third meeting ken paxton was there and Maxwell, he he was unequivocal. That's a term that he used in that he was like, I'm not opening an investigation because there there is just no need. There is no, if I open an investigation into Nate Paul, who was raided by the FBI, I think four of his properties were raided by the FBI. Search warrants were executed in all of those scenarios. And Nate Paul was trying to claim that on one of those properties, a search warrant was executed after the fact, making the search illegal by the by the FBI. But he couldn't produce any evidence of that. He was he wanted the state of Texas. He wanted Ken Paxson's office to analyze the metadata of the search warrant document to be able to prove that it was produced after the search was executed. And I actually, it, it came out in a roundabout way, but it, it turns out that no, the, that search warrant was not altered. It didn't, or it, it did not come out after the search. It was the search warrant came before the search, which is protocol. So again, these, these defense lawyers are just saying, well, well, you, you know, this here's a private citizen just come in off the street and need some help, and, and you didn't want to help him. You weren't even open to the fact. Are you as if this kind of special access again, three meetings with the attorney general's office? You got three face to face meetings. What private citizen who didn't donate $25,000 and, and who wasn't a at one point a multi millionaire and owned a million square feet of property in Austin? Who would have been given that kind of access? All right. Well, that's enough about the trial for this episode, but I did want to touch on a few other subjects. The heat, obviously it's hot in Texas and throughout the South and and really throughout a lot of the world and the country in the summer, particularly in August. And the media, the fake news, of course, they're using this as evidence of more global warming, as if it's as if it wasn't very, very hot in Texas 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 100 years ago in August, right? And in in any case, the heat, it appears, is going to be breaking early this week. But there's been virtually no rain for well over a month. And I've I've noticed, well, I I always notice, but I, I walk around my neighborhood quite a bit and the amount of dog poop that is on any patch of grass at all and i live near there's a lot of corporate apartment buildings and they have landscaping teams obviously and they will routinely they they put down new grass for i i guess the purpose of the new grass is so that way dogs can come along and relieve themselves on the new grass. 
But when when I'm walking around this neighborhood or when I'm crossing the street or anything, I I walk with my head down because th- there is so much poop. Even though there are doggy bag stations with trash cans attached throughout the neighborhood. So I guess anyway, it, it's just particularly acute because it has been so hot and there has been no rain. But you know what? I just, I could not imagine owning a pet for that reason. I could not imagine picking up dog poop. That's just one of the the many reasons why I wouldn't own a pet. That's got to be the top reason. And I, I do think that most owners are responsible in that respect, picking up. But again, walk around my neighborhood and you will see that there are plenty of owners who they they obviously don't like the chore of of picking up after their animal either and so they don't do it but you know what i just think if you get a dog that you're ba- you are entering into a relationship with that animal for a decade probably if it's a small dog more at least you know the small dog isn't as much of a hindrance in terms of being able to uh, travel. But if you you get a big dog, and again, it seems like most of the people in this neighborhood, my neighborhood, most people in our generation, they have a dog. Sometimes they have more than one. And they have the dog in an apartment with no backyard. And the dog is staying in the apartment for most of the day. Even if it's a big dog that requires probably 90 minutes to two hours of exercise a day, a puppy, and has probably tearing up that apartment. But I just, I I cannot imagine it. You know, that said, I I don't ever want to be caught wishing away the summer. But I guess you have to move to California or maybe Hawaii or maybe certain parts of Florida if you want consistently perfect weather. You know, I'm talking about in, maybe in the 80s. Although even when it's when it's 90 degrees here, that seems so tolerable in comparison to above 100 degrees. But I, I have to admit, I, I'm looking forward to a little bit of the cooler weather coming in, really just for the for the nighttime. I I do feel that I sleep much better in the winter and the cold weather. But, you know, I, I definitely, I don't, I'm not looking forward to jacket season or anything like that. Although I, I will say on the plus side, that certainly contributes to a decrease in vagrancy and homelessness in the, the cold weather. All right. Well, I'm going to leave it at that, but tune in to the next episode. I'll continue to talk about the trial as events unfold. I'm Bronin. Catch me on Twitter, RTR underscore Bronin. I've been posting about the trial as well. And I will catch you on the next Real Texas Radio podcast.